and morning, those of you who are watching online. How many of you who are here today have ever used a GPS or an app on your phone to give you directions while you're driving? That's an amazing invention, isn't it? Amazing invention. You can turn this app on on your phone, especially the apps. I love the apps. And they can help you avoid real-time traffic jams. So you can look at your phone and you see the color red and that means bad. Don't go near there. And it can tell where the traffic is not moving and where it is moving. Also, it's comforting when you're driving somewhere and you've never been there before and a voice comes on and says, in 300 meters prepare to turn or take the next exit. Such comfort while you're driving to somewhere that you have never been before. Now, it's one thing to have a GPS or a map app that will help us when we're driving, but wouldn't it be incredible to have a life GPS? So, for example, wouldn't it be amazing if we had, we're trying to parent our kids, and we were having a problem with a particular child, and we checked our life GPS, and on came the perfect advice for what to do with that child at that moment. Or say that you're in a relationship with someone, and the relationship is going a little rocky, and so you talk to your life G GPS, and it tells you what to say the next time you see that person. Or say you have a big decision to make, and you don't know what to do, so you turn on your life GPS, and the life GPS tells you what to do. Or say you have a health issue, or one of your kids has a health issue, and you turn on your life GPS, and it diagnoses the problem and tells you what you need to do or where you need to go to get it solved. Wouldn't it be great to have a constant companion that gives answers whenever asked? Except... No such device exists, at least to my knowledge. And GPSs can be thrown off by traffic pattern changes that they have been not been informed of, or by construction that the GPS is not aware of. But what if there was some person who was willing to go with us wherever we went and was available for counsel? and wisdom and decision-making? What if they stayed with us all the time and were available whenever we needed them? What if they could even empower us and give us strength to face the hard things in our lives? Well, friends, such a person exists. And many of you know him. In fact, he is here right now. That person is Jesus and if you know him, you can have access to much more than a GPS could ever give to you. In fact, those filled in Christ have full connection to all of God and to every benefit of salvation. And if you're following along on the bulletin today, that is the main point of this entire message. Those filled in Christ have full connection to all of God and every benefit of salvation. But this might not seem that comforting at first to us because we may think salvation only refers to going to heaven when we die. And you don't plan on dying very soon. 
So what good is this great news? Well, salvation includes many benefits for life now. And today we're going to explore this by asking three questions. Question number one is, what does it mean to be filled in Christ? Number two is, in what ways have we been filled in Christ? And number three, what difference can this make in our lives today? And I pray that today you might leave with a greater grasp of all that you have in Christ so that you can face whatever is coming this week and beyond with the knowledge and the comfort that Jesus is with you for through it all. So our text is Colossians 2, verses 8 to 15. It's a text that we've been in already, but we're going to look a little farther in it this week. It's on page 835 in the Bibles that are in front of you if you want to follow along there. And this is what some consider to be the heart of this letter to the Colossians. So Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So we have seen Paul call the Colossians to grow in maturity in Christ. And over the past couple of weeks, we've seen why. Some wrong teaching threatened to lead them away from Christ. So we saw Paul address this directly in verse 8. He warns them against getting taken captive by empty teaching and deceitful teaching. And this teaching is based solely on human tradition and the elemental spirits or principles of the world. And then in verse 9, Paul contrasts the empty teaching with the fullness of Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Jesus is not just one of many equal religious leaders on the buffet of religious preferences. Jesus in him has the whole fullness of deity in his body. And in contrast to the empty deceit of the false teachers and their empty teaching, Jesus is fully God in his body. And then in verse 10, we come to our main phrase for today. Paul 
ties the fullness of Jesus to us when he says, and you have been filled in him, Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. And so the question that we start with today, question number one is, what does it mean to be filled in Christ? Well, the phrase in Christ or in him points to a new reality for any person who comes to receive Christ. When we first receive Christ, we experience something called union with Christ. And if you have the bulletin today, on the back page, there is a definition there or an explanation there of what union with Christ is. And this is from a theologian who I think says it well. He says, union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers in Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. So to be filled in Christ means to be united with Christ through whom we receive all the benefits of salvation. And notice those four different ways our union with Christ is portrayed in the theologian's definition. We are in Christ, Christ is in us. We are like Christ and we are with Christ. And each one of these phrases is found throughout the New Testament in multiple ways with many different examples of the benefits that we receive because of our relationship with Christ. For example, the phrase in Christ is used to describe at least four different realities for the Christian. One, we have died and been raised in Christ. Two, we have new life in Christ. Three, all of our actions can be done in Christ. And four, all Christians together are one body in Christ. And so multiple benefits of salvation are contained in just that phrase, in Christ. The same theologian writes this, every aspect of God's relationship with us is in some way connected to our relationship with Christ. So when Paul writes in Colossians 2.10, you have been filled in him, he is pointing them to their union with Christ. He says you are filled in Christ. In contrast to the empty and to the deceitful teaching that the false teachers have, you are filled in Christ. Your union with Christ provides full and complete access to all of God. Another commentator puts it like this, in Christ and Christ alone, God has decisively and exhaustively revealed himself. All that we can know or experience of God is therefore found in our relationship with Jesus. And it is in this sense that Jesus is like a personal GPS, but so much more than a device or gadget that we turn on when we want to know directions. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and we are filled in him so we have access to all the resources of God 
through Jesus. And the more that we recognize this, realize this, believe this truth, the more that we will depend on him to help guide and empower us for whatever life brings. So that's question one. To be filled in Christ means to be united with Christ through whom we receive all the benefits of salvation. Question two, in what ways have we been filled in Christ? Or what are some of the benefits of salvation that we enjoy? And Paul unpacks these for us in verses 11 to 15. So benefit number one, we receive a new heart that is sensitive to the things of God. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now God in the Old Testament commanded his people, the Jews, to practice the rite of circumcision, to mark them as a people. And this involved the actual cutting of flesh. And I'm not going to say where they cut the flesh because it's too painful for me to think about. But young people, if you don't know about this, ask your mom and dad at lunch what circumcision is all about. And you will have a very interesting lunchtime conversation. But notice, Paul immediately clarifies that this is not physical circumcision that he's talking about. It's a circumcision made without hands. So a spiritual circumcision. And any reader of the Old Testament would recognize this. There was this talk by several writers in the Old Testament of the need for Israel to be circumcised in their hearts. Not a literal cutting of flesh, but a change of heart. Israel needed changed hearts more than the rite of circumcision. And Paul says that believers have already received this changed heart in Christ. And this is one of the benefits of salvation. We receive a heart sensitive to the things of God. And gradually, the growing Christian will begin to see the world through the eyes of God. They will see their lives through the eyes of God. They will see the purpose of their lives through God's eyes. They will see others through the eyes of God, and they will live in a way that honors God. And this was all accomplished by the putting off of the body of flesh. Now, that could refer to us, putting off our sinful nature or body of flesh, or it could refer to Christ's body on the cross. And when Christ put off his body of flesh, when he died, through his death, anyone who put their faith in him would then receive this new heart. So if you're a Christian, you have a new heart. And from this heart comes the desire to follow God. It is sensitive to the things of God. And that's one benefit of salvation that we have since we are filled with Christ. Benefit number two, God buried us and raised us to new life in Christ. So verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So the image here is of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Since we are filled in Christ, we also have died, been buried, and been raised to new resurrection life. Well, the question is, when did this happen? 
Well, it depends on what Paul means by baptism here. It could refer to a spiritual baptism, the baptism of the Spirit that happens at the moment that we become Christians. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And we hear about this baptism in, chapter, in, in passages like Mark 1.8, where John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Or 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. So Paul could mean baptism of the Holy Spirit here, and Jesus baptized us with the Holy Spirit when we believed in him. Our water baptism then would symbolize that event of our old life being buried and God raising us to new resurrection life with Christ. Or Paul could be referring to water baptism here. And in the early church, we need to remember that conversion and baptism happened very close together, sometimes on the same day. And so for them, conversion and baptism were almost one thing. This is unlike the way we do baptism today where people come to Christ and then weeks, months, or even years later they get baptized. But the main point is that since we are in Christ, our old life has been buried and we've been raised to new life in Christ. And when we sin, it's like we're going back to our pre-conversion dead life. We're not living out this benefit of salvation. We're acting like we're not saved. So those who recognize their union in Christ will grow in saying no to those old ways and instead embrace the new ways of resurrection life. Then we come to benefit three. God made us alive together with Christ by completely forgiving our trespasses. This is verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And we really like this one, right? Who doesn't want to be forgiven? To trespass means to violate or to disobey a law, specifically the law of God, the moral law of God. And no one keeps God's commands perfectly all the time. But some might object and say, well, God has his laws and his people over here, and I want to just live over here. And I won't trespass on his property, but I'm going to live over here. So why do I need to be forgiven my trespasses? And Paul kind of addresses this in verse 14, where he explains spiritual reality for every human being. Here he explains how or on what basis God forgave us. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So did you know that every human being owes a debt to God? Why? Well, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve life in paradise 
And all they had to do was follow God's command. You can live in this garden. You can work the land. You can enjoy all the blessings that are in this garden and enjoy one another. And so they simply owed God obedience. But we all know what happened. They disobeyed. They began to accumulate a record of debt against their account. And you and I inherited the sin nature or flesh from Adam and Eve. We owed God obedience for the life and opportunity he gave us, but we also have disobeyed. And if we look back at our lives, we see this accumulation of debt towards God for when we have disobeyed. But what did God do? He canceled that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Instead, he would have someone else pay that debt, and that someone was his son, in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And when Jesus died on that cross, our record of debt got nailed there with him. So when we receive Christ, God made us alive together with Christ by completely forgiving our trespasses. And we can live free from the guilt and condemnation of those past sins. We may still owe a debt to society. We may still have to walk through consequences of our sin with other people or those that we've hurt, but we owe no debt to God. That has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. And then we come to benefit number four. God completely disarmed evil spiritual rulers and authorities. And this is in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And the image here is of a Roman general who has conquered a region or a city and he's coming back to Rome and he brings with him captives from that city. This is what they did to show their complete and total victory. And so God is the Roman general in a sense and the captives, the defeated, are the spiritual rulers and authorities, evil spiritual rulers and authorities. And the text says he disarmed them. So in what way did God disarm these spiritual rulers and authorities? I could think of two ways. One, he took the weapon of accusation against us out of their hands. Before we come to Christ, we are guilty. After we come to Christ, God cancels that record of debt against us. And so it's like he's taken the weapon of accusation out of the hands of the evil spiritual rulers and authorities that accuse us. You're guilty. You're guilty. No, our record of debt has been canceled. And I think the other weapon that God took out of the hands of the evil spiritual rulers and authorities is the weapon of terror or terrorizing. Yes, apart from Christ, demons can oppress us and seem very intimidating to us. But because of Christ and because of what God has done as described here, they are defeated. And notice the words he uses, they have been put to open shame. Like there's no doubt 
that they've been defeated. They're the ones in the captive train. And it's being displayed to everyone. And so you and I, though we need to take seriously the reality of spiritual warfare and of demons against us, do not have to fear them anymore. For when Christ's name is mentioned, they cannot stand and we can still stand. So these are just four of the benefits of salvation that we enjoy because of our union with Christ. Now question three. What difference does all this make? And I admit to you, friends, when I was trying to figure that out this week, I struggled with this. For two, maybe three days. What difference does this make? Because when things go wrong in my life, when I enter into hard times, I don't feel filled in Christ. And yet... I realized my feeling in Christ does not depend on my feelings. My being filled in Him is a fact. So the question is, how do I live in light of this fact? And it seems to me that Paul is aiming to free the Colossian Christians from wasted efforts and energy to live up to the expectations of the false teachers. And we'll see next week that the false teachers passed judgment on them, disqualified them, and tried to regulate the Colossians. And they said, you don't have enough spiritually to be having the full experience, to be fully connected. Their pressure upon the Colossians, however, was inconsistent to the reality of their being filled in Christ. So it seems to me that first, the Colossians needed to realize all that they had in Christ and rest in it. And sometimes you and I, we just need to rest in Jesus' work. We need to be reminded of things like, God has given me a new heart. My old life has been buried. I've been raised to new life in Christ. God has permanently and decisively forgiven my trespasses and nailed them to the cross. God has disarmed those spiritual evil beings that threaten me. That's the reality of our lives in Christ. So we don't need to live under judgment and disqualification and the regulations imposed upon us by maybe other people or by the demons or maybe even by ourselves. We need to rest in the work of Christ. That's one application or thing that we can do this week. Secondly, I think this leads then to a search to discover more of what we have received in Christ. You have been filled in Christ in whom the fullness of deity dwells. Well, we'll never come to the end of discovering God. It will be an eternal pursuit. And the more that we can know God, the more that we can know Jesus and learn about him and receive from him, the more that we will depend on him for our lives each day, which is point number three, When you discover more of what you have received in Christ, you learn to live from Christ more and more. 
And instead of the empty and deceitful ideas, we pursue this fullness in Christ by Christ's power. And Paul is going to command the Colossians to seek the things above, set their minds on things above, put to death anything of the earthly nature, and put on anything of Christ. So we depend on Jesus, first of all, to remind us of who we are in him. We ask Jesus to empower us to speak the right words in that difficult situation. We turn to Jesus for strength when we face trials and difficulties. We ask Jesus for guidance when we have difficult decisions to make. And the more we discover and live in his fullness, the more we will experience his companionship and all that union with him brings. And that is way more than any GPS or Maps app can ever provide for us. God has filled us with his fullness and he wants us to experience the blessings that come with that. And so Christian, discover the fullness of Christ since you've already been filled with him, in him. And if you don't know Christ, you need to receive him so that he can be your fullness. And so let's come before the Lord in prayer. And today, Lord, as we come to you in prayer, I believe there is gold, spiritual gold in this passage that the enemy does not want us to see. I believe that there is so much here that we can miss it and continue to live as if we lack. That we need to do more that we need to earn something. And somehow, Lord, we need to learn that whole dance or balance of living from you. Not that we abuse grace and say, oh, we don't have to do anything. No, because of grace, because of your filling, we live by the new hearts that you've given us and the spirit that you filled us with and the strength that you give us. And so I pray for everyone here today, Lord. Everyone watching online. That you will deepen our knowledge, understanding of it, and experience of being filled in Christ. And from that, help us to go ahead into our lives full of you. We pray this in your name. Jesus. Amen.